0: In today's scripture passage, there's a question that's being asked that goes to the very essence of the gospel message, asking, what must I do to have eternal life? And because God is presenting that question to us in these words, today's message is about the gospel, the good news of salvation. And while, yes, every message that God provides to us each Lord's Day should and must be, have the gospel at its foundation. This message is especially filled with most all of those precious ingredients that brings each of us to salvation and eternal life. Now, while I know also that most all of us who come to our church each Sunday are already saved, we each still need to hear the old, old story of the gospel over and over again. And not only for our own soul, But also and especially to remind us of our responsibility within that great commission that the Lord Jesus gave. The responsibility to go out from here and to give this precious good news to others so that they can be saved. So that they can come out of that darkness into the light. So turn with me then, if you will, to the book of Luke chapter 10 and follow along with me as I read. Beginning in verse 25, a certain lawyer stood up and he tested Jesus saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law and what is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor is yourself. And he said to him, you've answered rightly. Do this and you'll live. This account that's given here of a lawyer testing the Lord Jesus with this question about what he needed to do to inherit eternal life is such an integral part of the story that follows involving the good deed done by the Samaritan man who graciously stopped to help an injured fellow traveler that we too often move directly into that part of the story and we miss out on a very, very important truth that God wants us to know about. The question by this lawyer is said here to be an attempt to test, even perhaps to trick the Lord Jesus into saying something that would discredit him. But though that was that man's motive, this is still a question, folks, that both he and you and I need to consider. In a similar circumstance within today's evangelical circles, We often tend to give a quick and easy to understand answer about how to be saved, how to have eternal life. We tell a person that all they need to do to be saved is to go down to the front of the church, to pray that sinner's prayer, asking Jesus to come into their heart, and with that prayer, they are then saved. It seems so simple, but is it really? Is it really that simple? And the same could be said about this exchange between this lawyer and the Lord Jesus. That all this man or any person must do to have eternal life is simply obey a few basic rules and instructions from the book of the law. And again, that all sounds so simple. But is it really? Several years after I first gave my heart to Christ and was saved, I began to have some questions about how this whole process of salvation really does take place. You'll recall perhaps that I shared with you about my own salvation experience, how I prayed that sinner's prayer over and over again, no less than about three months before God then graciously reached into my heart and made me to know that He had saved me. Now for that and other reasons, I've come to the conclusion that Getting saved is not as simple a matter as some people think it to be. That getting saved is not just some free will decision that a person decides to make and then it's all done. Now, after realizing that that was true, I began to search these scriptures to see if it really was just me, just me and my own personal efforts that got me saved. Or if perhaps God was more involved long before I made what most Christians call a decision to accept Him. In those early years of my being a Christian, most all of my focus and attention and study was guided by that assumption. That assumption that my free will was the sole determining factor in most all of the choices and decisions that I made each day. And especially beginning with that very first moment and decision to surrender my life to Christ but as I studied these scriptures I more and more began to question how my mind was interpreting the words that I would read and that's the question that's the question that Jesus was asking this well educated lawyer of the Old Testament scriptures when this man asked him what must he do to have eternal life Jesus said to him what is written in the law and what is your reading of it These questions that Jesus asked this man really should provoke curiosity within our minds. The first question is really fairly simple. It asks, What are the actual words that are written in these scriptures? But the second question, the second question there that Jesus asked is not as simple. That second question is, What is your reading of those words? How does your mind interpret the words that you're reading? And folks, therein seems to lie all the many possibilities that each of our minds can contrive that these words that we read might possibly mean. Now, simply put, two people sitting side by side reading the very same words of Scripture, they can actually arrive at two very different understandings of what the words that they're reading really mean. And also... Within that concept is a simple reason why there are so many different churches and so many different denominations all across our land. And this is why you and a person sitting in the pew next to you might actually have a different understanding of the scriptures that you read. And it really should not be that way. It really should not be that way, but it is. It is. And it's the same in every other church that you and I might be sitting in right now. This, folks, is how God reveals me to me and how he reveals you to you. His simple truths are ever and always very incisive. And they cut through our understanding, our excuse making. And they reveal simple truths to us. One of the unspoken truths that God is revealing to us here is that we really... Probably do believe that we have the free will ability to clearly understand the words that we're reading, and that we have the ability within ourselves to actually do good and right things and make good and right decisions about those words. That seems so with this Jewish lawyer, and that was part of his question. And the part of the question that Jesus asked him Jesus asked him, What is written in the law? And then, What is your understanding of what you just read? Two different questions. Many different possibilities depending upon who's reading those words. Now recall again, the first and underlying question that this lawyer asked is, what must he do to inherit eternal life? And in response to Jesus' question about what is written in the law, and then what his reading of it was, the lawyer said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, while those words from that lawyer are exactly right, he really seems to be making that assumption that he or any other person could, by the power of their own free will, simply obey the words that are commanded there. That any person has the free will ability within their soul and spirit to love God and to love their neighbor perfectly enough to get them into heaven. You might recall in another circumstance that the Lord Jesus said, all of the laws and the prophets are wrapped up in these few words. That if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbors yourself, you'll never commit any of those other sins. That's the point this lawyer was not understanding. And that's also some of the misunderstanding that we have. It seems to be the assumption behind the words that you and I might say to people today when they might ask a similar question of us about how to be saved. We say to them, just bow your head and pray the simple words of the sinner's prayer. And then you'll be saved. It's as simple as that. But we've given them this assumption, and we have used the assumption within our own mind, that any and every person has the ability and the strength of soul and spirit to just turn from their sinful nature, that nature that has driven and controlled every thought and behavior all of their lives, that they can just suddenly turn from it. And with just a few words of a sinner's prayer, then everything will suddenly be right with God. But folks, now listen. Yes, there is some truth in those instructions. Yes, there is. But there is still so much much more that needs to be understood by us. That's probably what was taking place during that three months that I was praying that sinner's prayer and it not working. I couldn't articulate what was taking place, but something was taking place within the mystery of God. It seems that we do think that we can of our own free will, us and also this Jewish lawyer, that we have this ability by the strength of our own free will, just to turn away from all that has controlled our life, all of our life. But folks, there are several special truths that are given to us here in these scriptures, and especially in the book of Romans, that would cause us to question the way that we read and the way we understand these scriptures regarding salvation. One of the first scriptures that we need to understand is given in Romans chapter 3, and that is, that without the help and the aid of the Holy Spirit, we are helpless sinners. Helpless sinners. Familiar verse, verse 23 of Romans 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's you and me. And then also, know in an unsaved condition, we will not and we cannot simply stop and make a free will decision to change the way we are. To turn away from our sin, and have Christ as our Savior. We do not have that ability. Those words are clearly given to us beginning in verse 10 of Romans 3. Listen to these words. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. There are no unbelievers who will seek after God. That's what he says here. There is none who seeks after God. Without the unction of the Holy Spirit, you will not seek after God. He goes on to say, They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Can that be any more clear? Now, recall again the underlying question. This Jewish lawyer has asked the Lord Jesus, What must he do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responded asking him about what's written in the law. And Jesus' question to this man was not just about the words of the Scripture, but also about what he understood those words to mean. And folks, that same question should be in your and my mind about these words that we just read from Romans chapter 3. Recall I mentioned that two people sitting side by side in the same pew can read these words and have two different understandings of what they mean. Those words again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all, every person, has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. And then, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. The unbelieving mind cannot understand these scriptures. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. There is, they have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. What does your mind say about these words? What, how does your mind interpret these words? And the question that should come to us is simple. That how can a person, any person with this depth of sin that God is saying to us here have within us how can any of us have within us the ability to simply say oh okay I give all that up I'm going to by a free will decision on my part turn away from all of that sin and make a decision as the Jewish lawyer might have said to love my neighbor and to love God with all my heart or you and I might say well we'll just bow our head and pray that sinner's prayer folks Please understand, according to the scriptures that we just read, that simply cannot be the way salvation works. As these scriptures clearly tell us, we are too wretchedly controlled by the sin within us to have the ability to do those things of our own free will. And listen, God amplifies that truth in Ephesians chapter 2 where He tells us that in our unsaved condition, we're not only wretched sinners... We're actually and completely dead. Dead in our sins. And folks, listen. Dead people cannot simply turn and make free will decisions. Dead people can't do anything. In our unsaved condition, we're dead. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. He gives us an answer to these questions. How do we go about receiving that eternal life that that Jewish lawyer is seeking after? How can you and I bow our knee and pray that sinner's prayer and it be effectual within our lives? How can we turn from that sin that has controlled us all of our lives and turn to Him? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Such a simple verse. You... You, me, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked. And listen to this. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom, listen, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Have you ever pictured yourself in that kind of condition? I have. And this is the way that I was before I received Him. Let me read that again. And you He made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, in which I, I once walked. According to the course of this world, I followed everything this world offered to me according to the prince of the power of the air and satan rules all of this madness that's taking place in our nation today the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience folks we have a nation full of sons of disobedience you and i were part of that before we came to know christ The Spirit who works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we, you, I, all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. We wanted things and we we took them. We made sure that we had them, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like all the others. But listen, but God who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive. He made us alive. Together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, not of anything you've done or can do, lest anyone should boast." Folks, these words, these words tell us exactly how we got from where we were in our lost and sinful condition to where we are now in our salvation and in our eternal life. We were dead. We were completely dead and unable to do anything whatsoever of our own free will. And He, God, for some reasons, not only to Himself, He reached into our dead heart, into my dead heart, yours, Into our heart and soul. And he made us alive. Those words again. But God who is rich in mercy. Because of his great love. With which he loved us. Even when we were dead. In trespasses. He made us alive. Together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. May we please understand these words. May we not have a difference. In the way that we read them. May we understand these words. Dead people can't do anything, but God can. And it was God and God alone who reached His merciful hand into our heart, my heart, and soul. And He made us alive. And He gave us that free gift of salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Dear friends, God didn't just wake us up. So that then we could exercise our free will faith to accept Jesus as our Savior. It didn't happen that way. These words tell us that He first made us alive. He gave us life. And then, praise be to God, after He made us alive, He then, by a gift of grace, gave us the faith to believe in Him. He did all that work. And after God then made us alive, it seems always to begin with stirrings within our soul, deep within our heart and soul, a yearning to be different from that person that we are, to be free of that control that sin and self has over us, a yearning to be who God wants us to be. And though we're not able to know what is taking place at the time, but something very mysterious brought on by the Holy Spirit is taking place within our soul. We're told in John chapter 16 that it's the Holy Spirit who secretly works within us to convict us that the real underlying problem is sin. Sin. It's not just bad behaviors. It's not just bad habits. Those are responses to sin. But it's sin itself. It's an actual violation of the laws of God. And folks, for myself, I never really understood that before. I had only been thinking of my bad behavior and how I didn't like that. It didn't produce anything good in my life. I'd not considered or even cared that I was violating the very person of our righteous God. But when the Holy Spirit then brought that realization to me, I began to fear. And to know that I really needed to change and be different. And as that dear hymn refrains, "Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Then grace my fear relieved. And that was when somewhere within the secret counsels of God that He reached into my heart and I began to repent. And that is so important, that we be brought to repentance. To truly feel sorry for our sins and want to turn completely away from those sins. Not go back to them. And looking back on that experience, I can clearly see that God the Father was busily doing the work that He does to take me to that next step and that is drawing me to the Lord Jesus where I would pray that prayer and receive Him. And folks, He walks us through those precious steps that are given to us in Romans chapter 10. Listen to these words, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Recall how many times Billy Graham has said, now go tell someone about it. You need to confess with your mouth. Folks, this is our part of this life-changing transaction. When the Lord Jesus has done all the work that's required to save us, we still really do need to do our part. And this is our part. This is where we step on forward And we respond to God's blessed gift of faith. And we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And we believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead. And folks, it's then. It's then. It's not just simply walking down an aisle and saying some words. It's when this takes place. It's then that we're saved. It's with our heart that we believe and are justified. And it's with our mouth that we confess and are saved. And folks, I want us to know clearly that, again, I did not know all of these deeper things of God as I walked through all the steps of salvation. I didn't know they were taking place. All that I did was surrender my heart and soul to Christ. But in that whole process, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit was walking me through these steps that I just gave to each of us. He walked me through all of those steps that I needed to be saved. And He'll do that. With each and every person that he saves. Because these scriptures tell us so. And yes, yes, that last step may take place within a person as they walk forward to pray that sinner's prayer. But listen, we must know that according to these scriptures that we just studied. All of those first steps, all of those first steps had either already been taking place or were taking place as a person walks forward to give their heart to Christ. As that person is coming down from that highest seat in those bleachers down to Billy Graham, so much of this is taking place as they're walking down towards the podium. Why do I know that? It's because these scriptures I just read. We must take these steps. Now, as for this Jewish lawyer who asked Jesus this question about how he could gain eternal life, we don't know what he did next. But may we simply hope that at some point in the future days of this man's life that he himself turned, went back to the Lord Jesus and surrendered his heart to him and that he gained that precious salvation and eternal life that he so desperately needed. Let's pray. Oh, Father, yes, so much of this is difficult to understand. But your Holy Spirit will explain it to us all we have to do is open our heart and our ears and listen forgive us where we so often fight against all that you want to do in our lives help us to surrender to you we pray in Jesus precious name